0: Hi, we're Eleanor and Carrie. we're the hosts of The Good Robot Podcast, and join us as we ask the experts, what is good technology? Is it even possible? And what does feminism have to bring to this conversation? If you want to learn more about today's topic, head over to our website, where we've got a full transcript of the episode and a specially curated reading list, with work by or picked by our experts. But until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. In this
1: episode, we speak to Soraj Hongladaram, a professor of philosophy and director of the Center of Science, Technology and Society at Chulalongkorn University in Bangkok. Soraj explains what makes Buddhism a unique and yet appropriate intervention in AI ethics, why we need to aim for enlightenment with machines, and whether there is common ground for different religions to work together in making AI more inclusive. I hope you enjoy the show. Amazing. Well, it's a great pleasure to have you here today. We're thrilled. So can we start by having you tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, and what brings you to the topic of Buddhism and technology?
2: Right. Uh, great to be here, and thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Sorat Hongladarom. I teach philosophy at Chulalongkorn University in Bangkok, Thailand. And the thing that brought me to uh, working on uh buddhism and technology is that of course i'm a buddhist uh, so are 95% of thai people and in order to find answers that like uh, you know are relevant to my context it's natural to look at buddhism and i think that could contribute something to the uh, global audience uh, global ac- academic community also
0: fantastic thank you and what does buddhism mean to you
2: Oh uh that's a good question. We have not uh, reflected on this question uh often here in Thailand because it's like an environment for for each of us here but it means that uh, whenever we we uh find troubles problems uh we usually look at what Buddhism has to say in order to find answers and it functions as a resource pool so to speak where uh we can get you know sustenance or uh in my case funds for uh inspiration for uh looking for answers for problems that occur with modern technology such as ai and, and others
1: our podcast is called The Good Robot. Yeah. And so we're asking what makes good technology? What does good technology look like? This is, of course, a huge question that's only, and only part of that question is about creating belief systems for machines. Yeah. Uh, You've said before that in Buddhism, being good isn't just about being ethical. So I'm mm-hmm. really interested in how you think Buddhist philosophy can help us approach this question, particularly now that ethics has become a catch-all for AI's potential harms. So can you tell us what you think makes Buddhism unique in its response to the question of what makes good technology?
2: Yeah. In fact, I rather like the term good technology because it points toward uh, the, the idea that you mentioned Uh, By being good, in English, I understand that uh, being good has two broad meanings, because uh, when the word is translated into my language, into Thai language, uh, the two meanings are used by different words. Uh, On the one hand, uh, technology is good in in the sense that uh, they are efficient and they uh, are functional and they... Uh, effective i mean uh, like uh, we have a good car it, it does not break down easily and and so on in the other sense that is the more ethical sense in that sense when we talk about a car being good in the second sense it means uh we have an ethical environment uh, ethical component for the car which which uh, could be you know um very much related to the first sense. And in fact, if we look back at the Greeks, like uh, Plato and Aristotle, these two senses of being good are interrelated and they are much the same as what we, you know, have in, in other traditions, like in Buddhism also. These two senses are kind of very much related together. So, What makes Buddhism unique? It has the idea of interdependence and uh, doctrine of no-self, which is a bit technical, but the idea is that uh, you try to become altruistic and, and you try to become compassionate in the sense that you open up yourself and you look at the world not as, uh, you know, constituted by walled egos, but you try to open yourself up in such a way that you see uh, that all things are connected. And from that, uh, you can find like ethical considerations.
0: Thank you. It's really fascinating and what kinds of harmful outputs or what kinds of problems do you think might come from technology that doesn't abide by these kinds of buddhist principles
2: well the kind of thing that uh, like uh, does not follow the buddhist principle right that's uh, your question right we we have to look at uh, the essence of uh, buddhist ethics so to speak and and once we are clear on that, and we can uh, start to answer the question, starting from compassion and saying that all things are interdependent uh, what what happens is that in in terms of cultivating oneself that is what being a good Buddhist means, you try to do things that do not harm others that that uh, is a very basic thing that uh is the number one and then uh you you try to cultivate your your bodily action and your speech and your mind uh, your bodily action is that uh you do not harm others you do not lie or steal uh, that's uh very that uh, those are very basic things and in terms of speech you don't lie and uh from that we could have some kind of uh, considerations that can be applied for ethics of technology later on. And you also cultivate your mind so you do not covet other uh, possessions. You try to remind yourself as often as you can that, uh, you know, uh, right now you are having bad thoughts, so to speak, and you try to catch them before they turn into speech or bodily action so uh those are basically what buddhists try to cultivate themselves so in terms of you know the broader idea on how technology could be materialized are uh, the kind of technological products or systems that violate these uh, very basic ideas of Buddhist ethics would be such that uh, the manufacturers, for example, always think of themselves and they are building a wall around themselves, separating themselves against all others so that their technology become a means to enrich themselves only or uh, you know, enrich their their ego consciousness, so to speak. Uh, that can result in uh, kind of uh, the kind of thing that many people, you know, not only Buddhists, regard as unethical. So basically, the, th- that's the idea.
0: How interesting. And so I'm really captivated by these particular, like, these traits and these sort of foundational principles of Buddhist ethics. And I was wondering, do you think these principles can be codified into a set of rules that a machine can follow? So do you think a machine can achieve enlightenment, for example?
2: Ah, uh, Yes, yes. Uh, thanks for the question. Well, uh, the term machine enlightenment is, is in uh, my recent book and uh, it like demands explanation. Is there a code of rules? Could be yeah because uh, when you talk to engineers, they prefer you know uh, something that they can grasp easily and something that they can use in their works as a uh, part of their algorithms, so to speak. So in this case, what I think is that uh, when you devise a ethical code of conducts based on Buddhist ethics in artificial intelligence, the end result would not look terribly different from the kind of ethical guidelines for AI ethics that you find, for example, in the EU, or uh, I'm sure in Britain, or in the US, or uh, in other advanced countries, uh concepts like protection of privacy rights transparency accountability will be uh there in a buddhist inspired code of ethics because those are some of the things that we really need for uh, ai to behave ethically uh for example uh in in my country uh there is a group who is trying to develop uh, facial recognition technology. And they are also aware of the ethical implication of their development because, uh, as we know, facial recognition technology has a very strong potential to invade our privacy sphere and to cause a, an imbalance of Power between the state authorities and the citizens. So we have to be really careful when we have such a technology. There are benefits, of course. Uh, you know, there might be some applications where facial recognition technology can provide, you know, tangible benefits. But the harms are there. So, so we need a uh you know strong code of conduct or a set of rules where which could be translated into legal mechanisms or you know uh law th- that uh are strong enough to to deter some kind of uh unethical action that could happen but at the same time could you know uh benefit Uh, uh, the development of the technology also. So is there anything unique to Buddhism in terms of the the substance of the code that uh, we are talking about could be? And and, uh, the Buddhist-inspired code might pay more attention to inclusiveness and uh, reduction of Uh, social injustice, inequality in society, perhaps uh, more substantially than the other codes that are in existence at the moment.
0: Sometimes things in the world of technology are complicated and need careful explaining. Sometimes they just need a little hard truth. I don't think
1: anyone is going to buy a banana with crypto at any point in the foreseeable future.
0: I'm Lizzie O'Leary, the host of Slate's What Next TBD, your clear-eyed guide to technology, power, and the future. Friday and Sunday, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Mm, lots of those points resonate with a feminist perspective on technology. For example, we're both trying to respond to the question of how to make technologies more inclusive. We're both putting emphasis on methods and processes rather than structures, and we're both paying attention to relationality, as you just said. You know the the interdependence of humans, technology, and the natural world. Mm-hmm. And I think this last aim is particularly important: that we must take into account mm-hmm. the interdependence of all things when responding to the problem of who's accountable for ai so a lot of we have a lot of things in common i think and how do you see feminism relating to buddhism
2: yes that's a, a fantastic question but but before we go to that i forgot to talk about machine enlightenment you know the key concept in my book the term in fact is a metaphor and i'm not uh, Saying that machines can become enlightened, that would be absurd. Perhaps in the next 100 years, who know. Uh, but as of now, uh, there is no way, no possibility that a machine can get enlightened, you know, uh, let alone conscious, you know, they, they are not capable of, of uh, becoming a conscious entity anytime soon. And When we talk about real enlightenment in Buddhism, you have to become conscious first. So that is out of question. But uh, that does not mean that uh, we cannot talk about machine enlightenment as a, a comparative framework or a metaphor. We are talking, of course, about ethics. And in Buddhism, the whole point of ethics is... A uh, is that we have a guideline where we can cultivate ourselves through those guidelines, in order that we achieve the supreme end uh, of becoming a Buddhist, which is attain enlightenment, uh, becoming free of all suffering altogether. You know, completely, perfectly free from all any type of suffering. Of course, that's an ideal. And uh, we Buddhists believe that it is very difficult or perhaps not possible in one's lifetime, one single lifetime to achieve that uh, type of enlightenment. But the structure is this. We have enlightenment at the top and then we have guidelines that uh, help us achieve eventually enlightenment. And those guidelines comprise uh, the ethical conduct that Buddhists need to follow. So when we extrapolate that to machines, what we have is that we have the supreme perfection, the end result of what a really, really good, perfectly good machine or perfectly good technology looks like, and guidelines for any type of machines to find eventually achieve those end results, and and those guidelines are you know roughly the same as uh, what we talked about earlier. And prominent among uh, those guidelines is uh, the idea of inclusiveness, which is very much uh, relevant or dependent upon the idea of compassion and interdependence. Out of that, of course, uh, we uh, have the idea that uh, every group in society cannot be, you know, marginalized or neglected. We have to include everybody and that is uh, very much part of the whole idea of social justice. So, From that, we, we have the idea that feminism is very much uh, part of uh, what we are trying to achieve through technology, especially through, through an ethical thinking on technology, especially on artificial intelligence. In fact, uh, I am a member of a group of scholars and activists who are trying to create a more inclusive, uh, more uh, gender-oriented or more uh, sensitive to these uh, groups uh, through technology. So uh, the question that we are concerned with is how to create AI in such a way that all these groups are not neglected and, and are always included. So it's a fascinating idea and what after I think my contribution is to look at you know, the issue from from above, from um, you know I'm a philosopher from a more theoretical standpoint, but I hope that uh, my my idea should have some kind of practical considerations also.
1: Do you think that we can get religions to come together together to solve problems in AI? Do you see Buddhism in being particularly compatible with certain other religions or activist traditions like feminism? And if so, how do Buddhist approaches allow for multiplicity?
2: Yes, uh, I very much believe that all religions share much in common uh, from the beginning. We, We, you know, when we... Engage in interreligious conversation or dialogues. We don't need to pay attention to the differences. Of course, we know about the differences, and, and there are always be differences among religion. But but when we talk about cultivation of oneself, I think uh, uh, my uh, brothers and sisters in other religions, I think they they share the same. Feelings, I mean, uh, no matter if uh, your end result is to enter into communion with the divine, uh, it does not matter because in order to be able to achieve that, you need some kind of ethical conduct. Some may think that uh, you need divine grace, but, um, you know, you you cannot just uh, lie still and then uh, grace will come. Uh, you have to at least do something, and that's my my belief anyway. Uh, so in that case, uh, we we can find a lot of similarities, common grounds uh, among the religions, and uh, the idea that uh, whenever you build a wall around yourself can resonate very much. I think. With the theistic religions also, because in that case, you are walling yourself up from God. And, and that is a no, no. I, I think, I mean, I'm not a Christian, of course, but that could be uh, some kind, you know, because you are uh, turning your back on the divine. And, and, you know, uh, you, you, you don't want to do that as a, a believer in, in, in God or something. So a lot of common ground. And, and I think we can work together.
0: Thank you so much. That's really encouraging, and this whole interview has been so fascinating. But we have one final question for you, which is that we've talked a lot about all the amazing insights that Buddhism can bring to AI ethics, to thinking about technology. But we'd like to flip that question for you. So, say, what do you think the study of technology can do for Buddhism and Buddhist ethics and Buddhist thought?
2: Uh, yes, yes. I'm sorry, I missed uh, Eleanor uh, Arthur' question about. Uh, multiplicity. Uh, there is a saying in Buddhism, uh, the end point, which is enlightenment, can be the result. And there is always a multiplicity of ways to arrive at the final destination. There is. Uh, it's, it's not the case that there is only one way and this way only. There are uh, myriads of ways uh, where we can end up at the same destination. And Your question about what technology can do is a a very fascinating one. I'm reminded when I heard this question about, you know, there are meditation apps on iPhone or on Android phones where you can download and then you can do, you know, meditation. Even if you have not had the training before, if you are an absolute beginner, you can start doing meditation by... Listening to those apps and and follow or uh, whatever that the apps tell you to do, and I have had uh, a look at uh, some of those apps, and they, they are quite good. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you follow them, you you can do some some uh, things, you know, and you can practice real meditation that way. And for people with a certain lifestyle, they and you know, those apps can be very beneficial to them. So that's one example.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been really, really wonderful. We'd just like to say thank you again so much for joining us. I feel like I've personally learned so much from this interview. So thank you again. This episode was made possible thanks to our generous
1: funder, Christina Gore. It was written and produced by Dr. Eleanor Drage and Dr. Kerry Makhreth and edited by Laura Zamulionita.